And where is my thing? Here it is. Oh my god, I'm so behind it. Bam! I am back. Good evening. Welcome back to The Night Show with Evan George. Today is November 3rd, and I probably should have given myself another day off before doing this, but that's okay. Let's start with the obvious, something that was obvious since I think the third week of September, and that is that Michelle Wu is going to be the next mayor of Boston, first female elected mayor in Boston's history, first person of color. And if you are joining me on TikTok, I'll repeat this a few times, I recommend switching to Twitch because you'll get to see the nice visuals I have. But you want to chill down there, look up, you can do that too. And yesterday, yesterday in Boston, things went more or less exactly how I said they would. But before we, we go into all that, let's, let's go into setting the stage for it. I know the fun part is going to be the Wu versus Anissa, because we all know who wins in the end. But we're going to get to that. We're going to get to my reflections on the day, the good, the bad, the ugly. Talk a little bit about what happened over in Somerville, Medford, and Cambridge. And for me, what is the lesson that has been routinely learned, at least for the past few years in electoral cycles. But again, before we get to the the heavier stuff, let's have a little bit of fun. Let's break down this uh, mayoral race. What happened? So first, let's look at the preliminary election from September 14th, where the polls all had pretty consistently Michelle Wu and number one. And then as we got very close, Anissa Sabi George at that number two spot. Kim Janey completely blew it. It was a failure on her part as a candidate, on her campaign team running one of the worst run campaigns for her not being able to use the powers of the incumbency. And ultimately resulting in Michelle Wu being the number one vote getter in that election, 33% to Anissa Sabi George. 22, Andre Campbell just squeaking out above Kim Janey at 19.7% uh, with 19.5% going to Kim Janey. And to refresh everyone's memory, let's look back at that map, which is another time I recommend if you're down on TikTok, follow me up here. I'm going to try to minimize myself even smaller so we can see it. So this was the preliminary election map. And for the people who I know like to watch this as a podcast, we have Michelle Wu in the purple taking over the southern part of East Boston, southern part of Chowtown, South Boston, Downtown, Beacon Hill, Back Bay, Fenway, Alston, going down to Jamaica Plain and Rosendale, Fenway Mission Hill. Big little semicircle around the city with Kim Janey taking the center of the city, which was Roxbury, Mattapan, parts of Hyde Park. I'm Andrea Campbell taking very selective precincts in some of those areas of Roxbury and Mattapan that have high voter density. And Anissa Sabi George with the northern parts of Charlestown and East Boston, parts of Dorchester, a little bit of Hyde Park, and of course, West Roxbury. And so from there, 
from that blowout, it was very clear that Michelle Wu was the clear favorite, that Nisa Sabi George was going to have to throw a lot of Hill Marys. And we're going to look at the side by side, but you could tell from this map that the areas where Kim Janey won, the smaller areas where Andrea Campbell won, even the couple of areas that uh, Barros won, Michelle Wu was always second and third place with a two to one, three to one ratio above Anissa Sabi George. And so the moment I saw that, I knew that this was over. That those voters, once Kim Janey and Andrea Campbell were knocked out, were going to go Wu over Anissa. And now to try to counter that, Anissa did what we saw a lot of district level councilors do in this election. And what we see at the national level all the time is you got to start throwing punches. You got to start casting a lot of doubt. And now Anissa did that through PACs, which is the common way. You never want to go negative. You want your PACs, your super PACs, private donations to do the dirty work for you. That way you can say they're not affiliated with my campaign. And they really had two different strategies. The first was run out of the Real Progress for Boston, I think it was called. A PAC which was championed and the face of was William Gross, the former Boston Police Commissioner. Lead fundraiser was, I always say Jim or Jeff. Lead fundraiser being Jim Davis, who's a top GOP fundraiser, ended up spending over a million dollars just on this initiative. And the first attack, and I'm going to play you the ad because I want this stuff for the record, was trying to tie Michelle Wu to the defund the police movement, which you could argue is a stretch. I don't think it is, to be honest. She, while she's never used the phrase herself, Michelle Wu on her policy page talked about, it was probably the term redistribution, or maybe thinking of creative ways to fund other uh, safety initiatives rather than just policing. So she was amiable to the policy uh, goals of defund. I think that is fair to say. And I think saying that she wants to defund the police while maybe a little bit of a stretch of the terminology, I think was clearly in bounds. However, this ad that they tried to do goes a little bit beyond that. So let's take a quick listen, 30 seconds. How to defund our great city, elect Michelle Wu. Wu would defund the police, reducing positions and forcing layoffs. She voted to defund essential services during a pandemic and even proposes defunding the T. Wu- okay, <laughs> I have to stop it because I just wanted to correct a couple of things. Begins with defund the police. Okay, again, I think that is actually fair. And now tries to just hammer defund and tie it to everything. And this is just the hyperbolic no- nonsense that voters can normally see through once you start saying things like she wants to defund essential services. There was no one who has been following this race, who knows Michelle Wu, that thinks she wants to defund schools, defund health, defund housing, or as the next slide says, defund the MBTA. And even proposes defunding the T. I mean, the only thing people knew about her was that she wants to invest heavily in public transportation. Not the only thing, but most. The MVTA. And what they were originally referring to was Michelle's no votes on the city budget. And that was not an effort to defund those organizations. It was an effort to increase their funding. 
with anyone with a half a brain, which Michelle Wu can articulate very clearly, would understand. But let's play out the rest and hopefully I won't deposit. Wu's way means a less affordable Boston with fewer services. For real progress, not radical change, elect Misa Asabi George. I'm Carol Martinez, chair of the Bostonians for Real Progress Independent Expenditure Pact, which approves and paid for this message. Okay, good it. for you. So that was the first attempt. Can we try to scare voters? Can we try to say Michelle wants to defund the city? That electing Michelle Wu with her ambitious lefty, I don't think they used the word socialist against her. I'm surprised the Herald didn't. Maybe they didn't. They missed it. Policies. It's going to ruin the city. It's going to defund us. That didn't work. Because, again, it, the second you started talking about her wanting to defund public transportation, everyone lost their thread of what you were talking about. So now they did the second thing, which is to try to take one of Anise's key uh, weaknesses, which was the fact that her husband is a major real estate developer in Boston, owns roughly over $50 million worth of properties, and the Boston Globe ran an article, maybe two, about how Anissa Sabi George used and uses her position on the Boston City Council to profit her husband's properties, how she uses it to block other properties that might end up decreasing the property value of her husband's. I think in one case, it was to stop a building being constructed, which would have then obscured the view from like one of the penthouses, therefore decreasing the value of that penthouse. And so, okay, if that is your weakness, what do you do? You try to actually say, no, 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 I'm not the one who has corrupt ties to the real estate in- industry. That's my opponent. That's Michelle Wu. And so they dug up this story that Michelle Wu was given a house and it did not have to pay market value for it. it. It very much reminds me of Lula from Brazil, if people are, know that story. However, a very quick fact, and I can't find the video because Michelle's team basically threatened to sue stations that would air it, saying it's defamatory and slanderous. It's simply not true, which obviously in political campaigns, especially PACs, you can stretch the truth to a very large degree. They probably could have ran it and they would have been fine. But the fact that Michelle was probably so far ahead, we don't want to burn bridges with the next mayor. We want the next mayor to come on Channel 5 or Channel 7 or Channel 10. So yeah, like we also won't air this. But again, for everyone's, I don't know, knowledge, the person that she bought the house from was her college roommate, and her and her husband paid market value, which has been assessed by multiple independent agencies. So there was no corruption on that. It was, again, Anissa Savi George's attempt to tie one of her big weaknesses, one of the major reasons a lot of people look at her sideways about how she uses her position to benefit her family, and try to say, no, that's my opponent's weaknesses. And you saw this in the 2004 presidential election with Bush versus Kerry, when Bush was a draft dodger. Kerry actually went to uh, Vietnam. And so what did they make a big issue of? Oh, Kerry was actually lying about what he did over there. He was a coward. He didn't actually serve honorably. Again, taking your record of being a draft dodger and just trying to label your opponent with it, to try to obscure and confuse the issue. You see it all the time. Any 101 consultant would tell you to do that. And so... 
Now let's look at how effective these strategies were. And spoiler alert, she got absolutely destroyed. <laughs> if you're watching the visual, um, again, I'd switch over to Twitch for the people who like to watch me on TikTok. Michelle completely cleaned up in a way that I said was what was going to happen, which was all those areas in the, the middle of Boston that went for either Kim Janey or Andrea Campbell all went to Michelle. And Michelle is just a massive wave of purple in the only areas where Anissa held on are the wider areas of Boston. Again, North Charlestown, Northeast Boston, South Boston, Eastern Dorchester, West Roxbury, and a couple um, precincts in Hyde Park. And Michelle even made inroads into some of the areas of that East Dorchester, my own. I live in uh, 13.8, actually went for Michelle. Because what you normally do have, and we're going to return to this theme a couple of times, is how voter turnout always increases from a prelim to a general. It happens in every uh, local, state, and national election. And what you normally see is a little bit of a younger demographic. And so a little bit of a younger demographic normally favors the most left candidate, normally. Again, we get to look at what happened in Somerville and how that whole theory as a steadfast principle goes right out the window, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So M Michelle dominated. The, en the ending result was Michelle took away 63.9% of the vote to Anise's 35.5%. So almost a two-to-one blowout. Now... So go here. Let's take a quick peek. And actually, let me, I see a lot of questions. So let me quickly answer some questions. And then we're going to get to what happened in the at-large races, just so everyone knows. Chris submits, hey, Evan, just got done with the bargaining session for my union. Need to go for a run, but wanted to say congrats again on all the wins from last night. Thank you very much, Chris. We'll talk about, let's talk about my day. Actually, right after we get through the at-larges, scrolling some of the other questions. What neighborhood do you live in? How's it going, Hyde Park? I live in Dorchester. A bunch of people sending me planets, which I don't understand. Is this the McRib podcast? <laughs> um, Somerville has four socialists on the city council. Yes, they do. What do you think the Democrats in D.C. can do to prevent getting shellacked in the midterms? Uh, they can have clear messaging on a policy that they pass that people actually like, like being able to negotiate for prescription drug prices, not in the 12-year time frame that I heard about today, but immediately passing um, paid parental leave, actually having a clear policy that people can materially benefit instantaneously, all they can do, but they're probably not going to do any of that. Yep, Dem, uh, more questions about the national level, but I try to keep it local. And okay, so now what happened in the rest of the races? Let's go through it. And this is gonna ah, this is gonna help me. I'm gonna try to move my photo to the side. I'm switching sides on you. Okay. So as we discussed, ninety-one thousand votes went to Michelle to the fifty thousand for Anissa. Five hundred and eighty-five write-ins. I'd be very curious to see what those write-ins were for the at-large for some reason is not on this page, but I'll talk about it in a second. Lydia Edwards ran unopposed. 
She cleaned up. She's back. District 2 at Flynn ran unopposed. He's back. District 3, my district, we had Frank Baker, one of the more conservative members of the Boston City Council, facing first-time challenger Stephen McBride, who I supported. Uh, nice guy. Um, Stephen got absolutely killed. Again, it has to do with the area. District 3 is one of, if not the most conservative neighborhood in Boston. And, and someone who has fantastic interpersonal relationships with his constituents like Frank Baker, if you're someone they don't know, they're not going to vote for you. So Stephen, unfortunately, ended up losing that, about a two-to-one ratio. District 4, which, again, I supported Joel Richards in the prelim. He, unfortunately, got knocked out. Uh, Brian Worrell killed it, just like I said he was going to. Another almost two-to-one margin, uh, 7,400 votes to about 4,500 for Evandro. Worrell is incredibly conservative. He actually was endorsed by the Boston Police Union. He's going to favor all the worst types of development. So he, uh, th- that district swung wildly because that was Andrea Campbell's old district. And I have a lot of problems with Andrea Campbell. But Brian Worrell is absolutely a, more, a worse city councilor. Ricardo Arroyo, who I've had some problems with in the past, absolutely cleaned up from his opponent, which I didn't even know he had an opponent. Ricardo took 75% of that vote to a John White 23%. District 6, uh, I'm going to tell this story in a bit, but Kendra Hicks took it. 13,907 votes to Mary Tamer's 10,974. Almost a 3,000 vote difference. Again, I'm going to share that story in a second. District 7, thank God, uh, Tanya Fernandez-Anderson, fantastic um, candidate, I believe the first Muslim to ever serve on the Boston City Council, beat Roy Owens, who is, I don't even know the best way to describe him, because of course I'm getting a phone call. District 8, unopposed, Kenzie Bach. District 9, Austin Brighton, Liz Brayden had an opponent, but everyone knew it wasn't going to be that serious. Okay, and okay, so for the at-large, it went exactly how everyone thought. I, I made one missed call in my uh, fantasy bracket, which was the last call, but everyone knew. Flaherty um, took the number one spot very close behind. Flaherty got 62,242 votes to Julie Mejia's 61,709, so about a 500-vote difference between that top spot. Coming in at third, Lucy Lujan with 54,000. And we knew it was going to be a tight fourth race. It did look like Erin Murphy was going to pull it out, and she did. Erin ended up getting 42,800. Compare that to David Halpert's 42,500. About a 300-vote difference. Absolutely killer. Erin Murphy is going to follow right along with Anissa Sabi George, taking her spot as the at-large conservative. And she has, again, horrible policies. David Halpert would have been an incredible member of the Boston City Council, definitely deserved it. Uh, so that uh, that is Boston's loss, and I hope he runs again in two years. And finally, the three ballot questions the, all went the way we want, which almost never happens with question one, which was to allow the Boston City Council to make changes to the budget. So now Michelle Wu will get to submit a budget. She gets to set the price tab, $4 billion. The City Council, though, now can 
pick and choose, okay, you want to send money here, we actually want to send more money here, less money there. And they get to have an open, transparent process over something which happens behind closed doors. Fantastic. That passed 81000 to just under 40000 Great. Question two, non-binding question, should there be a substation in East Boston in a low-income neighborhood by a playground in a flood zone next to a jet fuel tank? The answer to that is no. There's an open spot in Logan Airport. Move it there. It's two, two miles away, if that. Not even. That overwhelmingly was no. It was it was written very... Um, I, I, I was shocked that legally they allowed that. But anyway, that passed... I'm sorry, that was a no for 101,900 votes for no. Compare that to 19,000 for yes, but it's non-binding. I had to guess they're going to do it anyway. And finally, question three. Should, another non-binding question, the Boston City, should we get to elect our Boston School Committee? And I was actually surprised at this. I thought this would get a lot more no votes than it did, but it was supported yes votes at 99,000, no votes just under 27,000. Big blowout. So that's a mandate for that issue. And I would absolutely love to see maybe in two years we get something passed and in another four years we can actually have an election for a Boston School Committee. I think they'll probably end up phasing it in. I think Michelle Wu supports a hybrid model. So maybe she'll get to a point, four people, we get to vote on eight people, or I don't even know how many people currently sit on the Boston School Committee. But that would be fantastic. Let's see. And so I want to share my story of Election Day. I'm just going to quickly scroll uh, District 3 is Dorchester to answer Sheila's question. Um, so happy we won. So am I. Are there any cool socialist organizations I can join in Boston? Yes, you can. You can join the Boston Democratic Socialists of America. Um, feel free to DM me. Even though I think TikTok took away DM. I, I'm not sure, but hit me up on Twitter. I can get you plugged in there. And uh, the answer to question two, I answered. So, okay, I'm going to expand this. And so my story of Election Day, which I think is going to phase in nicely to what happened in Somerville as a bridge. And so as everyone, if you follow me on this, you probably follow me enough that you know that I was very heavily involved in the elections in Boston, the greater Boston area. My organization, the Democratic Socialists of America here in Boston, we endorsed 12 candidates, which is an historic number for us. Normally, we only ever endorse anywhere from, I think, like two to four. So we shot for the moon. We did a brand new model. I was the co-field coordinator for the, the entire project. Put in hundreds of hours, hundreds of hours internally mobilizing volunteers, helping with fields, everything in between. And so on election day, we decided that we were going to send most of our resources to Somerville. That is where we had seven candidates going and that I would support Kendra Hicks' campaign here in Boston. A lot of that is because I can speak to Boston politics and policies well enough that you all choosing to listen to me. Let's just put it that way. And we wanted to make sure that you know, it was a very bloody campaign. Maybe I'll talk more in depth about how that cam uh, campaign unfolded. But Kendra Hicks was ruthlessly attacked by her opponent, racially attacked by her opponent. And we really wanted to be there in solidarity, make sure 
she got over the finish line. So I stood outside a polling location all day, 7 a.m. to 8 p.m. There's a few different key jobs where it comes to uh, game day. You need to have a canvassing operation to go knock on doors to turn out the voters that you already ID. You need to have a phone banking operation to call the voters who you have ID'd saying, did you vote yet? Did you vote yet? You need to be actively watching the returns to figure out what areas are low turnout, what areas are high, so you can shift your resources. And you want to have people outside the polls to continue to articulate and champion for the people you want to get elected. So I, I like doing that, especially if all those other um, things are covered. And so I stood outside a polling lo location. I just talked to voters as they entered, make them smile, make them laugh, answer the questions. Barry Tamer was there for an hour, which I always love when the opposing candidate, because they get to hear me talk about the issues, generally much better than they can. Son also made an appearance, but I focus not on talking to the other people, but on talking to voters as they enter. And so I was there until, again, 8 p.m. I then wanted to swing by the Kendra Hicks party, because it was much closer than going up to Somerville, and I wanted to get the results as they came in. I went there, had a beer, and as we were waiting, something that we did this year for the first time was a lot of different volunteers got together and said, hey, here's what we'll do. We will go to the polling locations at 8 p.m. when they officially re release the results, and we will all together share that information on one big spreadsheet. And so all of us, by that I mean everyone who's following Boston politics, is just staring at the spreadsheet as the returns are coming in. And they are not going well when it comes to the Kendra Hicks, Mary Tamer campaign. And now I can't click enough to figure out where the votes are coming from. Is this just being reported from West Roxbury where it's the votes in? But Kendra is getting blown out. She's losing by 1,000 votes. Then she's losing by 1,500 votes. And then she gains. Now she's only losing by 700. Look again. Now she's down by 2,700. So I'm flipping out internally, which in my way is just to not talk and stare and try not to communicate to too many people. But obviously there people want to talk and try to be social. And so just around, again, I'm staring at the sheet. Kendra and her family are in another location because they want to get the uh, the results first and not have to, you know, have all the people kind of just staring, watching her reaction. There's Anthony Collins, the genius, the madman. Um, getting all these tallies from all the different voting locations, adding them up. And this is when I get the messages that Somerville is not going the way we hoped. That Tessa lost an incredibly, incredibly close um, election, I think, by maybe 150 votes. And we'll go through some of the data maybe in a little bit. Becca lost. I'm not hearing anything about the at-larges. Now, again, it's looking like Kendra's going to lose. It looks like the past eight months just gone. I'm completely gut check. Someone I was talking to, I start explaining how, you know, we learned the lesson again, which is that we cannot expand the electorate enough to make a difference, that we cannot do this. This model does not work. That's what we learned during the Bernie Sanders campaign. We failed to expand the Democratic primary electorate, and now we're failing at the local level. What are we going to do? I don't know. So I start to leave. Come back, I start to leave. They start doing the speeches. I figure, why not? I, I just want to hear the official number. I'm like, I'm not even going to go to Somerville. I'm just going to go to a bar, sit there by myself. No one talks to me. And that is when Kendra announced that, actually, I think it was Anthony, that with all 2,200 
precinct, I'm sorry, with all <laughs> our precincts reporting, Kendra won by 2,200 votes. And we all erupt, cheers, hugging, crying. I'm not ashamed to say that I, in an emotional release, uh, cried, which can't remember the last time I cried in public. I can't remember the last time I cried out of happiness and celebration, but I 100% did. Um, and I got to give Kendra a big hug, uh, Anthony and uh, Tanya, her campaigning manager, for the incredible job they did. And Kendra is going to be an absolute force on the Boston City Council. So then I went to Somerville, and that's a good time to kind of pivot to let's just look at those results. Now, I, I made the comment that where you normally see it, the difference between a prelim and a general is the electorate gets a little bit younger because voter turnout increases. You know, the old people, people who vote in every election since 1954, they're still voting in every election. They show up to the prelims, they don't show up in the generals. Younger people are much flakier. And while there was no prelim for the at-larges, so we really couldn't assess how well our three candidates there were going to do, for the local ward levels, we had um, the Becca Miller campaign against Judy, where Becca lost the prelim by about 33 votes, which again is a very small margin. We really hoped we could make that up. Tessa Bridge won her prelim by around I think, 60 votes. That's great. Both very close races, statistical coin flips. We thought we'd have the wind and it just didn't happen. So unfortunately they lost those races. JT and Ben at the ward levels, they won. And for the at-larges, we ran a slate of three candidates. Willie Burnley Jr., Charlotte Kelly, Eve Sidecheck, and I made the remark to someone down at Kendra's party that Willie is either going to come in second, third, or fourth. Charlotte is either going to come in third, fourth, or fifth. And Eve will come in either fourth, fifth, or sixth. And I got, I got two out of the three right. Well, I got their placements all right, but two of those three ended up getting elected. Willie came in, I believe, third? Actually, let's check it live. If I can... This, yeah, all right, let's see. Let me scan here. And for the mayoral race, um, Will Ba, who was the most left candidate, it killed it in the prelim. But what ended up happening was a lot of the votes who went to other candidates ended up consolidating Katiana. Katiana ended up dominating, which is really the first early sign of, of Somerville that it was not going our way. Willie got 9,700. So Willie did uh, get in that second spot very close with uh, Christian Strezzo taking the, the lead at 10,000. Okay, so I called it, and Charlotte came in at fourth place. No, somebody gave me the wrong information. Charlotte did come in at third place, um, 9,600, followed by Jacob Wilson at 7,000 with Eve Sidecheck at 6,400 with Eve taking that fifth space. So I, I thought Eve, Tessa, and Becker were all coin flips. The wind's blowing in a different direction, and we lost the three coin flips. Which, again, very, very devastating. However, we did double the amount of socialists on the city council. We had a lot of endorsements not go our way. It's very tough to win a race when Ayanna Presley puts her arm around the opponent. Fortunately, she also endorsed some of our candidates, so that's not going to give her too hard of a time. And for me, the big lesson, where 
which I, I again I mentioned it to my friend who I was talking to. And I, I still think it's true. And we're going to break down the data, uh, me and people who know how to do this much better than me in a few days. But the voter turnout is not where we need it to be. Here in Boston, for our preliminary election, about 25% of registered voters came out. That was for the prelim. For the general election, that number went to 32%, which means two-thirds of people who registered to vote, who are registered to vote, simply did not show up to vote for Anissa or Wu or any of the at-larges or any of the ballot questions or any of the district levels. They stayed home. Two out of every three voters in Boston stayed home. In Somerville, almost the same, even lower turnout for the general. Went from 25% in the prelim to 30%. And Matt Miller did a great math equation, which is in any election, you need 51% of the votes to go your way. You times that by the 30% of people who came out. That was the turnout in Somerville. You times that by how many of the people who live in that area are old enough to vote but didn't even register. Only 60% of the people in Somerville who are over the age of 18 who are citizens who can legally registered did. And again, there's a lot of restrictions that we put on voters here in Massachusetts so that they do not become voters, that we put on people. There's a lot of hurdles to registering to vote here in Massachusetts. And so 51% times that 30% that came out, which represents 30% of the 60% that even should were registered, you get about 9.18%. So that is how many people participated who could have participated in some of them. 9.18%. And with everything that is happening at the national level, globally, statewide, locally, we are not expanding the electorate enough to the numbers that we need to make a significant wins across the board, which is why it always comes down to you run 12 people, seven win. Because it's just you're throwing dice and you're just trying to beat the odds. And there are definitely things that we could have done better. We have to pitch perfect games to account for this lack of voter participation. We most certainly did not pitch a perfect game in this cycle. But so there are lessons we're going to learn for it. We came very close in some of these elections a few more turfs, a few more canvassing shifts, we have it. But I am very skeptical about the extent to which we can expand the electorate. And now what you are seeing, and maybe I'll, I'll hit this point another time, is voting is increasing during the general election at the national level. Still not nearly what you'd really want, any fully functioning democracy, but those numbers are going up. But again, th these are the numbers for Boston in, in the last time for the Boston mayoral races, 2005, 36% turnout, 2009, 31%, 13, 38%, 2017, 28%, 2021, 32%. So this was like an average over the past 15 years. And I don't have the Somerville numbers in front of me, but I, I bet they're similar. And so that, that to me is the big, is the big hurdle in electoral politics for people who want to use that as an avenue to change. And finally, let's last two points. I'll read some questions and get out of here. Uh, Cambridge, 1 a.m. I got the message that Jeevan, Sabrina Wheeler, 
was down in the first ballot. And it was 4 a.m. when I checked again and I got the message that uh, Jeevan uh, lost his re-election, which came as a massive gut check. Jeevan's a great guy. I consider him a friend. And, I mean, Cambridge uses an incredibly obscure voting method. I think it's called the Cleveland system. It's ranked choice voting, but it has to do with proportional voting. Some votes get allocated after you hit a certain number. It's very... very confusing, and it makes running elections in Cambridge very difficult. And this was something that we, at least I'll speak for myself, I put in the should be a win column. An incumbent, well-liked, run a successful field operation, you should have it. And this was, this is a race that I definitely need to look into more about what happened. Fortunately, we endorsed Jeevan and Quinton Zonovan. Quinton made it which is great because we need a left voice, a strong left voice. But in Cambridge, for some reason, their elections department doesn't give us the numbers as quickly, so I don't know the voter turnout. I'm going to assume it's close to what I just said, that just not enough people are registered to vote in those areas, the young people, transient students, and those people just don't show up. doesn't matter how many times you knock on their doors or you call the number that's in the voter file. It's very, it's very difficult to reach them. So Cambridge was a massive uh, disappointment, but I'm, I'd like to end on a happy note, trying to find it. Medford. So over in Medford, we endorsed Zach Bears, DSA member, the only socialist running. There is a very strong Our Revolution chapter, where a lot of DSA members are also a part of. They endorsed a slate of candidates. Kit Collins, who I met, she's great. I contributed to her campaign. Um, Justin Zhang, who I've also met, may have contributed, I, I forget. A few others, Nicole Morrill, Abigail Dickerson, they also endorsed for school committee, because you get to vote for school committee, and they killed it. Uh, Zach won, Kit won, Nicole won, Justin won. Is Jenny on there? Okay, looks like Abigail did not. A few others, so they got four out of their slate on the city council, incredible. And I know others for their school committee. So Medford ended up at a great bright spot for what we'll call left politics in the area. Congrats on them. Congrats again to, to Zach, to Kit and Justin. And yeah, that, that's those are my initial thoughts. Maybe next week I'll do this again once I have more time to think and process. I'm exhausted. I basically, once I got that 4 a.m., when I checked the polls that Jeevan lost, difficult to sleep after that. I'm my legs are still killing me <laughs> from uh, the campaign and everything. Um, I see my buddy Corey from Worcester is making some comments in the chat. So let me just read that. And if you have any questions down here in TikTok land, please do. I'm going to say it again. Recommend you follow me on Twitch so you can see the visuals. But you all do what you want to do. Reading Corey's comments. Someone asks if I know any Democratic socialist organizations in Worcester. Corey is the, the guy for that. Worcester DSA covers that area. He gave you the at Worcester DSA Twitter along with the email. Uh, Corey's making some more comments about things. District-based systems can punish voters who are renters. Absolutely. Quinton only narrowly squeaked by. That is a good point. I would have to look closer again about like what round he came in and all that stuff. But 
yeah, we, we definitely need to do an autopsy of what happened with the um, with Jeevan and Quentin's campaigns. And just some more thoughts on proportional voting systems. But yes, um, Hot Socket, definitely reach out to Corey. Corey is, is one of the good ones. Let's see, I'm seeing a lot of praise in the chat. I'm going to scroll from the most recent. So glad you won. You earned that victory. What was, oh, I already answered that. You have a read Universal Hub. Yes, I do. Can we hear more about Brian Worrell? He won in my district. I voted Evandro. So Jonathan Cohn had a great side-by-side. -side. Brian Worrell, and maybe I can try to find some stuff live. He His family is in real estate, which is a big red flag in local politics. Because what it basically means is that the person can use the office to empower the property values that their business, their institute, their family owns. Because you get to decide the traffic lights. <laughs> you get to decide just all these little things which can increase the property value, which is why so many families, Frank Baker, Anissa Sabi George, they end up becoming real, uh, coming from the real estate sector. He's, uh, again, I know he got the endorsement for the Boston Police. I wish I could find, and I don't know the best way for me to uh, Google it. Let's try this. Ba -ba -da -ba. I'm bringing up Progressive Masses Slate because they, they, um, they did a great side-by-side -side about Avandro. And to be honest, I'm really not a big fan of Avandro either. I know he has his stated policies are much more to the left, so I encourage people to vote for him. All right, we're looking at the questionnaires. Perfect. All right, I'm bringing up Brian Worrell's questionnaire now. And again, if people want to hop off, you can. I know this is getting really in the nitty gritty. Um, I'm looking for the yes and no parts. Which of the following groups have you chosen to reject campaign contributions from? For-profit developers, fossil fuel, charter advocates, or police unions? I don't think he even bothered to answer that question. Um, do you oppose the expansion of charter schools? He wrote no, which means he favors charter schools, which is, again, a very big red flag. Continuing to scroll, do you support the Suffolk DA do not prosecute list? Oh, he said yes. Okay, that's good. Would you support a hard cap on overtime for police officers? He said no, which is probably why they supported him. Would you advocate for the reallocation of money from the Boston Police Department? He said yes. If so, 10%. Okay. Oh, again, the police union endorsed him. Do you support rent control? He said no. Do you, okay. So he does, he's against rent control. He did say he would take 10%. But again, once you're in that real estate, do you support ending subminimum wage for tip workers? He said no. <laughs> so he, which is, because right now, we, we have two different minimum wages in Massachusetts. 
And generally, if you work in the service industry, you're in that bottom tier. So he, he, he's against increasing the minimum wage for service workers. Will you, okay. Do you support allowing non-citizens with legal status to vote? He said no. Do you support lowering the age for local municipal elections? He said no. Not good to answer your question about Brian Worrell, but I really didn't anticipate going into that. But thank you for asking me because now I have his little thing on file and I'm going to take a peek at a few of the others. But I'm not going to have you all sit through that. Yes, not good. um, Shalia. And so, yeah, all right, I'm going to call it a wrap there. If you're listening to the podcast version, I will see you tomorrow. Friday, I have to go into the office early. I have no idea what's going to happen with the early morning podcast news review, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Have a good night.